Kristen, I'm thinking of changing my name. I think we've discussed this before, James, and we are not changing your name to Ed Sheeran. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. <laughs> I need to be at that wedding. No, Kristen, I'm thinking I'm thinking of going by Louie now. Oh, I think you're trying to encroach on the new royal babies turf here. You're talking about Kate and Will's new baby, the, the next in That's line right. to the throne. Yeah, after exactly. after George yeah. and Charlotte. Yeah. Yeah, now ahead of Harry. I'm, I just feel like it, it won't hurt to try that, you know, as a way of getting into the wedding. I, I probably won't take on the names Arthur and Charles, though. <laughs> oh, those infamous middle names. Mm. You know how I feel about yeah. Charles. Charles, don't get me started. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so shall we start this week's episode? Yes, enough about the bad names. Let's get with the good names. I'm Kristen Meinzer, a lifelong Royals enthusiast in the US. And I'm Louis Barr, James Barr, a ginger, <laughs> royal-loving Harry fan in the UK. And you're listening to when Megan met Harry, a royal wedding cast. In each episode, we examine the latest news about the wedding, do a deep dive into a pressing issue about the royal couple, and finally give our predictions for what we think will happen at the wedding itself. Let's messy bun and get this week's headlines done. Let's do it. (laughs) Let's do it. First up, last week we got another glimpse into the couple at the somber Anzac Day Memorial Service. Anzac Day honors the troops from Australia and New Zealand who have served and died in wars and peacekeeping operations and is held on the anniversary of the first major battle Australian and New Zealand troops fought in during World War I. Meghan and Harry made two appearances, the first at a dawn service in which Harry laid a wreath at the Australian Memorial, and the second was a service at Westminster Abbey. Whilst obviously the whole story of the day is what's important, Elle magazine notes that Meghan and Harry wore two outfits, one for each service, and one of Meghan's outfits included a fascinator. She wore it like a pro. She looked so good. She looked so good. I know it's somber and I'm not supposed to be talking about it, but she looked so good. Not as good as a certain Kristen Meinzer on CBC News in Canada last Friday. Ah, (laughs) I may have to bring that fascinator out again for the wedding date. Next up, while we learned that Priyanka Chopra will not be a bridesmaid, but will be at the wedding, we also learned that William has now officially been tapped to be Harry's best man. Now, obviously, William accepted not news. In fact, we were so expecting this to happen that we didn't even make a formal prediction of it for our being No need for a prediction here. It's just a given. We love how it was made, though. The two brothers were out and about at an event, and the press asked William how he felt about being asked. And he said, and this is so scary, he said, revenge is sweet. (laughs) I think that means a prank is in the works. As our bingo board predicts, there will be a prank, right? He's so stealing Harry's shoes. I'm so excited. This is so brilliant. He'll make such a perfect best man. He will. And notably, Kensington Palace, when this announcement was made about the best man thing happening, they released some really sweet pictures of the brothers over the years. And I just have to suggest every listener out there, if you haven't already, go look at the Kensington Palace feed and see these cute pictures of them when they were growing up. It's really, really sweet. They were very, very cute. Very cute. And one last piece of news. We often get asked how to watch the wedding if you won't be in Windsor like Kristen and I on May 19th. Yes. So for those of you in the U.S. who want to wake up early, PBS, Good Morning America, and E! have all announced that they'll be broadcasting live wedding coverage from Windsor starting at 5 a.m. Eastern Time, which wow. I think that's wow. 2 a.m. Pacific Time. So that's yeah. really, All really, nighter. really early. Yes. Don't go to bed if you're in California. We also learned this week from page six that Spotify and Apple Music are going to be streaming a recording of the ceremony just hours after the event. This is perfect if you want to sleep through your alarm clocks, though how could you 
possibly sleep through an alarm clock for the royal wedding. But yeah, you'll be able to catch up on the wedding via Apple Music and Spotify, which is really cool. And if you want a recap show, you can tune into E at 7 p.m. Eastern and CBS at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Yes. And finally, Decca Records will also be releasing a digital recording on May 19th, and it will be available in music stores on May 25th, which means you can have this wedding as a keepsake. And if you're really fancy in the form of vinyl forever to be framed and to be listened to annually on the special anniversary date. <laughs> so cool. We're going to do that. We definitely have to do that. That's so, yeah, Brilliant. We'll be back doing that. We'll, we'll do like a, a commentary. <laughs> Also, we should just point out that if you're listening in the UK, you can obviously watch it everywhere. Yes. <laughs> so no need for any admin. There's no admin yeah. there. If you're in the UK, just go to any pub, right? Or any street corner. <laughs> Literally anywhere. Turn on like, any TV. Yeah. Just stand in the street. Mm-hmm. Just do it. Yeah. Radio anywhere. You will hear it everywhere. It's going to be amazing. All right, guys. That's it for this week's headlines. And now it's time to welcome Jamie Cuccinelli, Associate News Director for Brides Magazine. She's here as usual to help us figure out all things wedding style. That's fashion, etiquette, accessories, entertaining, decor, and more. Jamie, thanks for joining us again. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. So glad to have you back. Jamie, we need to know about the very exciting news that broke last week. The royal couple are to have a gospel choir at the ceremony. Mm -hmm. It's like love actually, and we're so pumped. Tell us everything. All right, so (laughs) in past royal weddings... We pretty much seen a theme of very traditional, very classic ceremony music, and usually very British by sticking to hymns by English composers. The ceremonies usually feature fanfare ensembles, you know, very grand brass flourishes, a few religious hymns and elaborate choirs. So it sounds like Meghan and Harry are keeping to tradition, what with the grand orchestra they're said to be having. But then there's also these very, you know, unique personal touches that we love seeing from this couple with the gospel choir that they're having performed, Karen Gibson and the Kingdom Choir. Mm, the Kingdom Choir. Where are they from? Well, of course they're British. They've oh, been... what? I didn't even know Brits had gospel choirs. Kristen, what? I just like, thought of gospel so choirs as, like, I don't know. I thought of them as American. No, we've got gospel choirs too. <laughs> okay, okay. So I didn't know... There were gospel choirs in England. Sorry, sorry. All right, who else is going to be there, Jamie? They're having Sheku Kana Mason, an award-winning 19-year-old celloist who Prince Harry saw play at an event last June. And then Meghan Markle called him herself and asked him to perform That's at so the crazy. wedding. Oh, my which God. Which just warms my cold heart. Can you imagine getting that phone call? I would call? pass right out. I cannot I would be spread it. out on the floor unconscious. Well, apparently Sheku was also as in awe as the rest of us because he tweeted afterward, I was bowled over when Ms. Markle called me to ask if I would play during the ceremony. And of course, I immediately said yes. Well done. (laughs) Yes, of course. He doesn't have to think about that one. No, no, of course not. I think we'd all be tweeting 24-7 and just like, hey, everybody, Meghan Markle called me. Do you think he now has Meghan's number? (gasps) Oh, Didn't think about that. He must, right? Yeah. And then just puts that on speed dial from now on, right? Someone needs to steal Sheku's phone. Can he just text her Corgi memes throughout the day? Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. yes. Corgi butts. Oh, my God. So let's talk about the kind of music you think they'll be performing, because obviously we know Here Comes the Bride. But what other songs and hymns do you think the Gospel Choir and Sheku will be getting involved with? Well, the announcement from the palace stated that there's also going to be some well-known hymns played at the ceremony. And we've seen this, you know, at Will and Kate's wedding, at the Queen's wedding and Charles and Diana's. There's always a few 
very classical church hymns sung. They didn't reveal exactly what those hymns will be, but if we look at these past royal weddings, there could be some clues there. For instance, the hymn Love Divine, All Loves Excelling has been sung at a handful of royal weddings over the years. It was sung at Will and Kate's wedding after they recited their vows, as well as Charles and Camilla's ceremony. And then Will and Kate's wedding also had some musical nods to Princess Diana. The couple's recessional hymn Crown Imperial was also played at Charles and Diana's wedding. So perhaps we'll see some other musical nods to Diana at this wedding. Oh, that brought a little tear to my eye. I know. (laughs) That's really, really sweet. It's a little heartbreaking, but, you know. My lip was going as well. (laughs) Do you think we'll get any, like, fresh kind of 2018 vibes from the gospel choir? I mean, obviously not, but I feel like Megan... It's probably the one to do that if, if anyone is ever going to break world tradition. I mean, I want her to walk down the aisle to the Suits theme song. So, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Okay. I was thinking California Girls, Katy Perry. Yes. Oh, wow. <laughs> Can you imagine? She No, but then she'd feel tempted to wear a shaving cream bra, and that's just not going to be appropriate. No, no. Not going to do it. Not going to do it. Save that for the after party, Megan. <laughs> or maybe, you know, the flash mob down the aisle. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. If everybody who's sitting in the congregation Camilla and Charles stand up and play trumpets and then little oh my god (laughs) little George (laughs) and Charlotte each have like a tambourine and a xylophone oh my god can you imagine or a triangle yeah that would be so adorable thank you so much again Jamie for joining us Jamie Cuccinelli you can always find her coverage of the royal wedding at brides.com thanks Jamie thank you thanks Jamie we've got to take a quick break but we'll be back in a minute with this week's deep dive And we're back. And for this week's Deep Dive, James, I spoke to Melanie Bromley, E's chief news correspondent and royal expert. She's been covering the royal family for 20 years now. And she had some fascinating insights into the psychology of Meghan and Harry's relationship. Oh, I'm so, so jealous. I can't wait to hear this. Joining us now is Melanie Bromley, E chief news correspondent and royal expert, Melanie has covered the royal family for 20 years and has some fascinating expertise to share with us today about the psychology of Meghan and Harry's romance. Melanie, thanks so much for being with us today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. So first and foremost, Melanie, 20 years is, you know, that's like your whole career you've been covering this family. (laughs) How did you get into covering the family? And tell us about this. Well, so it's kind of funny when you grow up in England and especially around the area that I grew up in. And I didn't grow up, by the way, in the posh areas of London. I grew up west of London in Berkshire, but that just so happened to be the place where William and Harry actually went to school. So when I was a kid, I would see Diana driving around my local town as she went to visit them and pick them up. And that kind of piqued my interest in this family. And then, of course, as I got older and I started to cover celebrity news, there was a real interest that happened around, I think, um, 2007 or so. It was when um, Kate and William just started, their relationship started to be in the papers a little more. Of course, he was the heir to the throne and people were interested in him. And so before that, the royal family had seemed a little bit boring, to be honest. But suddenly there were these young, hot, gorgeous princes <laughs> that were all over the newspapers. And I, you know, as being a young girl at the time, or at least a 
towards the beginning of my career, it was really interesting to me. And is it just me or are they so hot that we would have <laughs> to follow them no matter what? And if they were less hot, maybe we wouldn't be so excited about them? Oh, no. Do you know what? I, I joke about them, them being hot um, in the sense that they are just two boys who we've seen go through such a emotional journey. You know, when we look at where they started and where they've ended up now, especially tragically because of the death of their mother, they're two young boys who we watched them following her coffin down the mall and those emotional scenes from that day, I don't think that there are many people who do not remember where they were when they watched that funeral. And so because that was so kind of concentrated in our minds, I think we've always cared about their story and where they're going to end up. It's almost like the ultimate feature film. We watched the sadness at the beginning and all we've ever wanted since then is for them to find their happily ever after. Well, let's go back to that tragedy and their young lives. And with the psychology of Harry, I mean, he was so young. You look at those pictures, you look at that footage of that funeral of him walking behind the casket with a little note in his handwriting that says mummy on it. And it's just, it's such a tragic thing for such a young person to go through. And how do you think that affected him and made him the person he is now? I mean, he says now that having to follow her coffin was honestly the worst thing and that it's something that no child should ever have to go through and it was kind of a very odd time you know in the years before of course Dinah and Charles with their separation for the most part uh, whether it was a mixture of how we cover things in the media or just the access that we had to the royals even though things weren't always great behind the palace walls we weren't quite exposed to the bitterness that had taken place in previous royal marriages and, and splits. And so Diana and Charles watching that play out. And then, of course, as you said, Harry seeing this little boy following his mother's coffin at her funeral. It just It's just really heartbreaking. Diana's death was seen as something, especially after the bitter divorce, that was really kind of shaking the foundations of that royal family. So it was all protecting the royal family, protecting the House of Windsor, making sure that the House of Windsor came before everything. And I do think that William and Harry, as young boys, were almost victims of that process because they were expected to get on with life, act like nothing had really happened, yet they'd lost their mother in the most horrific, tragic way and had parents who were not close at all at the time of her death. So we now know those kind of like the trauma that that took on both of those boys because Harry in recent years has been a lot more open about that. He's spoken about really what was going on in the dark days, something that had been hidden before then. Yeah, and during all of this, Charles started playing a major role in the boys' lives. What can you say about what sort of father he was to the boys? Well, you know, before when it was him and Diana both around, they very much, the boys were kind of going between their two parents, as a lot of kids are when their parents separate and, and subsequently divorce. It was very much a, a battle between this kind of war of the Waleses. But, you know, after Diana's death, I think that Charles came together really with those boys. Really, he was the, he'd been a a good father until then, but when it was only him, there was 
he had to step up. And of course, both the boys went off to Eton and Charles knew what that was like to go off to boarding school. And, you know, he really did have to be more present and, and especially, you know, he'd had not a great childhood himself. His mother had been off, of course, being made queen at such a young age, putting the crown really before the family. In retrospect, when you look back at her years bringing up Charles, and I think as much as Charles has been born to be king, and of course that is, none of us can imagine the pressure that that must feel like to have your destiny laid out from the moment that you take your first breath. But Charles very much put his role as a father of higher importance. He made it more of a priority after Diana's death. Throughout his teenage and early 20s, we've heard stories about Harry being the bad boy, whereas on the flip side, we've heard a lot of stories about Meghan being an activist and being very involved with causes for those who are less fortunate and speaking out on behalf of feminism and animal rights and children's rights and so on. So it seems that they turned out very differently in their uh, teens and early 20s, that they were very different people. Yes and no, because Harry actually was exposed to less fortunate people than himself because of his mother. And he definitely has inherited, even more so than William, that empath gene that Diana is very much famous for. But Harry had a different struggle to Meghan, which is that he was the spare heir, which is ultimately a role that every spare heir in history seems to have struggled with. You know, when you're growing up with an older sibling who is destined and has their kind of path laid out for them, and very much it's about them, they're the priority, and you are the person that's just around, really, just in case something happens to your older sibling, that's a really tough place to be in, especially finding your role and how you're going to contribute and your purpose when your older sibling has their purpose. So Harry did go through some difficult times. He went through a period where he struggled to really find his place. Now, in contrast to Harry's upbringing, let's talk a little bit about Meghan. I mean, there are some similarities. She also has divorced parents, but she you know, she had a very different life and she's an American. And what can you tell us about her upbringing and her psychology? Well, you know, she did have a different life and she's very keen, um, has been very keen in previous interviews to talk about how, despite her parents separating, that she was protected and that her mother and her father would watch Jeopardy together on a Sunday and that everything was fine. But There has been some criticism about her former best friend, Nanaki, I think is how you pronounce her name, pretty talking. But there has been some insight in those interviews. And like all historians, I do like to kind of look at all the evidence, really. And something that her former best friend has said is that it wasn't easy for Meghan. It it does bring up some similarities. While it was on a different stage, it wasn't on a world stage that Meghan's parents separated and divorced. She did go through a similar struggle to what Harry had gone through, which is, you know, trying to please 
both parents who are in different geographical locations, whether that's different houses or whatever it might be. So there are things actually that bond her and Harry, despite the fact that their childhoods were different. She was growing up in Hollywood. She was going off to TV sets and spending time with her dad and just exposed to different cultural influences to what Harry was exposed to. But there are similarities there. And people seem to be a little bit reticent to talk about the fact that she's biracial. I think that this is something that is such a beautiful addition to this royal family that has been white, (laughs) you know. So white for so long, despite invading other countries that are brown for hundreds and hundreds of years. I think it's outstanding that the family now can look a little bit more like the world. You know, for the royal family, I think for Meghan, who has had a different upbringing, a different background, has a different racial makeup, it's such an incredible chance for her to educate the rest of the royal family in her background and her experience. And people don't really talk about that very much at the moment in England. I really do hope, and I don't want her to feel the pressure of it, but there is something she's bringing to this royal family that nobody has been able to bring before. And when you see Meghan and Harry together, after 20 years of following this family, what do you see about each of them and their minds and their hearts and their psychology? What do you see that they bring to each other that helps each other out and that maybe complements each other? Well, I think for Harry, I definitely see that he's found somebody who for the first time can understand him and actually deal with the pressure of his role. And, you know, we've been told over the years that with Chelsea and with Cressida, the problems that they had were because, sure, he is such a lovely guy and we joked earlier that he's like very handsome and, you know, there are benefits <laughs> to dating Prince Harry. You have the castles and all of that stuff. Those are good things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're fun. But it is a gilded cage. It's a role that you are always going to take second place to the crown, to his job. And which actually for Megan, who's been a huge feminist, as you say, that's difficult for any woman or, or any man to have to cope with. Um, so, you know, Harry has always struggled with finding somebody who loves him enough to put up with that. And as much as on the outside, most people would be like, yeah, I can put up with that. Look at look at this wedding that I would get to have. Actually, I think if you look at the reality of it, most people couldn't deal with that. So he found somebody who could, who could handle the limelight, who could handle the fame, who could handle the pressure, the attention, all of that. And actually, Megan's Hollywood past is what's prepared her for that. But also he found somebody who shared his love and passion to do good in the world. Megan has that, obviously. We've seen that in her childhood. But also somebody who loves him. And it's just, I, from the moment I found out that they were dating, from the moment he released that statement to protect her and to look mm. after her against the obvious racist undertones that were there in the op-eds that were being written about, especially in the British papers, I kind of just knew that this was the girl he was going to marry. Now, for Meghan, I think there is a part of Meghan that is a protector and that 
is a very strong-willed woman, and we see that with a lot of women in Hollywood. This is a tough town. It's a tough town to deal with the scrutiny of having everybody look at you and tell you what's right and what's wrong and whether you look good or whether what you're saying is good. I mean, you're never not going to be criticized. And there's a, a thick skin that has to develop through that. But for Megan with Harry, she found somebody who's also had that background of dealing with that kind of attention in a much worse way. Harry has been criticized. He's been the bad boy. He's the person that's had the label through much of his early 20s of being, you know, this naughty rebel of the royal family and he's got through it and he's been able to find a higher purpose and so through him she's been able to in meeting him find somebody who actually understands her as well so I can see the real love between them but for Harry more so you know Harry is somebody as you've said I can't help it like I followed Harry for so many years and as most of the British public have like he is ultimately the person that I am just so overwhelmingly happy for for finding this person that he loves. Oh, we're all so happy for him. I mean, that's what this whole show is about, is just obsessing about the joy that we all have. And there's so much to be happy for. There's love and there's Harry and there's Megan. And it's just all that's good in the world you can see in this couple. Okay, I'm going to ask a question here that I'm sure some people will be offended by because it's putting the, it's putting the cart before the horse. But let's say Megan and Harry have a baby, the most beautiful baby that's ever going to be in the entire royal family. Let's say they have a baby. What kind of parents do you think they'll be? Harry, to be a dad, to know, to understand what it's like to make a mistake. William has made mistakes. They've just been less public. Harry has made mistakes that the whole world has seen. He's tripped up a hundred times and the whole world has criticized him for it and waited for him to do it again. That actually, I think, has given Harry a background and a knowledge and a skill that is going to make him an excellent father. Mm. Oh, I love that. And I can just imagine also that Megan would be an outstanding mother, too. She just seems so kind and so smart and so curious. Well, I'll just say... Kate has been able, honestly, to modernize the royal family just in the fact that she grew up as a normal person. And I know most people will say that she didn't because her family had money, new money and whatever it was with their, with their party company. But she's been able to infuse this kind of level of ordinary life, this background. Megan is going to be doing exactly the same thing. And, you know, Megan is somebody who has grown up with separated parents, knows what it's like to struggle, to fight for your rights. I mean, look what she did with the washing up liquid commercial when she was growing up. Oh, She's yes. somebody who understands her voice, understands what it's like to be the only person to stick up for what you believe in. She is going to be such a strong and excellent mother. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for everything. Melanie, you can find on E, of course, and her Twitter handle is at Melanie Bromley. Thanks, Melanie. Lovely. Thank you. Wow. That was so interesting. Like hearing Melanie talk about the air and the spare and also the divorce thing, like both of them being from divorced like parents is interesting. I now feel like maybe that's where I'm going wrong. I need to date <laughs> I need to date people that have also had divorced parents. Do you think? Yeah. I mean, that's what I ended up marrying. Somebody who also has divorced parents like me and I think things oh are working gosh. out pretty well so far for me and my husband. So 
um, maybe that's the way to go. Yeah. Mad love to Dean. Okay, well, I'm going to set up a dating app or find a dating app. <laughs> Children of Divorce.com. <laughs> swipe right. Yes. <laughs> Someone needs to make that happen and we need to get a credit. Oh, we're going to get um, it. We're going to get it. it. It could also just be called hashtag Hagen love. That, that works too. Anyone that loves Hagen would be perfect, actually. Yes. Um, anyway, we've turned this away from Megan and Harry and All About Me again. Um, we're going to take a quick break and then we're back with this week's prediction. So get ready. And we're back with this week's weekly wedding prediction. And as all of you out there know, in each episode, we make a prediction for what we think will go down on the wedding day. And on the wedding day, we'll be releasing a bingo board slash drinking game with all of those predictions, all of which will come true. Everyone is going to be spelling B-I-N-G-O across, diagonally, down, all the way, and you're going to be tipsy and happy just like us. Well, I thought the whole point was that you wouldn't be able to spell B-I-N-G-O by that point. (laughs) 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 Right, let's get the drum roll ready for today's prediction. Who's ready? Yes, I'm ready. I am so ready. Megan will follow Tan France's advice on our episode and wear her hair down for the wedding. Oh, love this. Tan France from Queer Eye, when he was here, he just said that he loves Megan with her hair down. We love her no matter how she wears her hair, especially Messy Bun. Love however yeah, she wears her hair. Props to that. Fully love that now. Yeah, but it's not just Tan France's prediction right now. Harper's Bazaar reports that Megan will be borrowing Amal Clooney's hairstylist for the wedding, Miguel Perez. Apparently, Amal Clooney uh, introduced Megan and Miguel, and Amal and her husband, George, will be at yes! the wedding itself. Oh my gosh, so exciting. So exciting. Miguel confirmed for the Daily Mail that he will indeed be doing Megan's hair and that they have a plan. Oh my God. And if Amal's long, wavy hairstyle is any clue, we think Megan is also going to opt for that chic yet classic look for her locks. Oh, she's going to look so gorgeous. <laughs> I'm so excited. Oh, she's going to be just stunning. Stunning. So mark our words, folks, and get that shot glass ready. That's going to be on the bingo board and it's going to come true. All right, that's it for today's episode, where Megan Met Harry is produced by Her Royal Highness Lindsay Cradwell. Thanks also to Baron Ryan Dilly, our producer in London. And as always, thanks to Andy Bowers, Archduke of Panoply. Do you have questions about the royal wedding? Send us an email. Yes, send us an email at whenmeganmetharry at panoply.fm or tweet us at Royal Wedding Pod. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, leave us a review, and tell all your hashtag Hagen watchers and Anglophiles about us. And also, we um, we haven't really talked about corgi butts in a while, but I enjoyed our shout out earlier in Star Corner. So please return to sending us pictures of your corgi butts. Yes, yes, we need those. We The world <laughs> we needs them. those. The world needs them. Until next time, I'm James Barr. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Love to you and corgi butts to all.